Well, good morning, church. Uh -huh. You're still asleep, I think. Good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, there we are. Let's stand together. I'm so glad that you joined us for worship this morning. Let's sing to our immortal, invisible, God-only wise this morning. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise, unrest. Unhasting and silent as light, nor wanting nor wasting, thou rulest in might. Thy justice like mountains, high soaring above, thy clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, thine angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. All praise we would render, all help us to see, tis only the splendor of thine hideth thee. Open arms, 
wherever you've been, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever you've done, come as you are. Come and find His love breaking through my heart of stone. Love breathing to awake my bones. Love reaching out to save my soul. Love never gonna let me go. Love calling me as I am. Love making me new again. Love lifting me when I can. Love never gonna let me go. Your love breaking through my heart of stone. Love breathing to awake my bones. Love reaching out to save my soul. Love never gonna let me go. Your love calling me as I am. Love making me new again. Love lifting me when I can. Love never gonna let me go. Love never gonna let me go. Your love never gonna let me go. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, come as you are, come into His open arms. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, come as you are, come and find His love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the space and time to worship you. Let us worship. Let our worship be a blessing to your heart this morning. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all you've done in our lives. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Good morning and welcome to University Baptist Church. My name is Janae Pilcher. I'm the interim youth minister here at UBC, and we just really want uh, to thank you guys for worshiping with us this morning. Um, if you're a visitor with us, if you have a worship guide, if you'll open it up, um, and on the right portion, if you'll fill out some information and tear it off and drop it in our offering plate, uh, we'd love to get to know you a little better. Um, at this time, please stand and greet those around you, and the children can come forward for a time with Miss Caroline. with us before the world was made before the world was made before you spoke it to be you were the king of kings yeah you were yeah you were and now you're reigning still enthroned above all things angels and saints cry out we join them as we sing glory to God glory to God Glory to God, 
excited to see you guys this morning, but I'm seeing some people that look older. I'm seeing some people that look like they've, I don't know, lost some teeth or something. It's pretty cool, but you know what? I'm also seeing some people who have done a wonderful job of worship and who've done a wonderful job of singing glory to God, and today we're going to be learning about worship, and we're going to be learning about how special it is, but I want to hear about some of the things that make you special. So I'm going to ask some questions, and if you have an answer, raise your hand, and I'll call on a couple of y'all. I probably can't uh, get everybody at once, but we'll see. Okay, if you could eat any food, any food at all today for lunch, what, you already know, what would you pick to eat? Okay, Warner, you go first. Pizza. Pizza, okay. Hudson, you said pizza too? Okay, what would you pick? Cake. Cake. Birthday cake? Because it's your birthday. Okay. Um, well, dude, I'm totally picking people who are sitting down. So what do you pick? What, what would be your favorite food? Uh-huh. Cake. Cake. You know what? I'm hearing good stuff for cake. What about you, Luke? Pizza sprinkled with nerds and syrup. Oh, wait. You so have to say this because this is complex. Say it again. Pizza sprinkled with gummy bears and nerds and syrup. Man, that is a meal that probably has everything covered. Okay, now Miss Caroline's going to have another question. Ready? If I were to ask you if you could read any book that you wanted to this afternoon, what book would you pick? What do you do? You know what you would pick? Lion. Say it again. Lion Queen. Ooh, Lion King. Uh, I called on both of you guys. What about? You, what would you pick? Shimmer and Shine. Ooh, never read that book. What book would you pick? Um, um, 
Um, I'm quick as a cricket. Ooh, quick as a cricket. I love that book. Have I called on you yet? I think I have. Have I, Warner? Okay, Warner, what book would you pick? Boxcar Children. Boxcar Children. And then where's, I want to ask you, what book would you pick? I have no idea. And because I, I was going to say, because you got a really big library. Okay. Tell me. Erie Elementary. Erie Elementary. Okay, now I want to ask if you could meet any person in the world this afternoon, if they would meet you to eat your favorite food and look at your favorite book, what person would you pick? Who would you pick? Serenity. Who? My friend Serenity. Your friend Serenity. Who would you pick? God. You would pick God. That'd be pretty cool. Who would you pick? Elsa. Elsa. That would be beautiful. Who would you pick? Carter. Carter. Dude, how awesome is that? And then let me ask over there. Who would you pick, Luker? J.K. Rowling. You know what? When we think about some of these things that are our favorites, when we think about some of these things that we would so like to see or know or experience more than anything else, some of those things are things that probably we can't do yet, right? Or that we can't do now. And you know what? When we think about God, God is so separate from us. There's a word that they use for him. It starts with an H. It's called, I want you to close your eyes for this one. It's holy. It means that he's set apart. He's different. He's so much different from us. Our very, very best doesn't even compare to his very, very best. Our very most amazing, incredible voice doesn't compare to his beauty. And you know what? Whenever we look through his scripture, when we look through his word, we see that word holy over and over and over. And in Revelations, that's one of the words that the angels repeat often. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They say he is the one that is worthy. He created this world by everything in this world it is through God that we have our existence. And part of the reason that we come into worship is because we are practicing what we will be doing for the rest of our lives if we're a follower of Jesus, and that's to worship him, to call him holy, to reclaim over and over who he is, and that's to remind ourselves who he is, how amazing he is, and how blessed we are that a holy, perfect loving God, a creator of this universe of stars in the sky, of trees, that he would love us and that he would call each one of us and have a plan and a purpose for our lives. So as we learn about worshiping our creator, let's prepare our hearts even more as we learn about him being holy and set apart. Dear Heavenly Father, we stand amazed to be here on this Lord's Day together worshiping you. We get to be a part of this body. We get to be a part of this family. And we both raise our hands and call you holy, but Father, we also bend our knee to you because you are the master. You are the creator. You are the one who is holy. And you chose to send your loving son, Jesus Christ, that we would have eternal life and that we could walk with you. Help us to never forget our opportunity and how blessed we are to proclaim with the angels 
you are holy to receive all glory and all honor and all praise. Amen.
stand together and sing and continue in worship. When morning gilds the skies, my heart awaking cries, may Jesus Christ be praised, alike at work and prayer, to Jesus I repair, may Jesus Christ be praised. Ye nations of mankind, in this your concord find, may Jesus Christ be praised. Let all Your holy name. 
How is everyone today? 
Man, it's good to be with you. Uh, you know, last week we finished up our discussion on discipleship. Uh, and I want to extend my appreciation to you all because we went into greater detail on that particular key conviction, right? It's, it's part of this larger series that we've been working through the entire year to discuss these convictions that will help shape the culture and vision of our church. And, and so while we obviously put a lot of attention and emphasis on discipleship, it's not lost on me that the church is built for more than just making disciples, okay? That while that is an important function and a point of emphasis, there, there is more to the story. And so we have a few more weeks left in this series of convictions, and, and we're going to highlight some of these other things that we see to be important and necessary for the church. Uh, and so today, we're going to build on this discussion of discipleship, and, and I want to remind you of one of the things that we discussed around that second week when we introduced that topic, that we wanted to do more than just identify the work of making disciples, right? We wanted to acknowledge not just the task, but what is it that gives it meaning, right? What is it that gives it value. And we discussed that it is important for us to see the act of making disciples as a gesture of worship. We talked about this quote from John Piper that says, missions exist, right? Making disciples exist because worship doesn't. That, that our goal is to go and engage those who have yet to discover the beauty of the gospel and lead them into a truer understanding of what it means to worship God. Right? Piper says, at some point, all these things will come to an end. Right? All of this will cease. Missions will no longer need to be required. A discipleship won't be as necessary, but worship will endure forever. And today, that's our topic, worship, and what makes it so meaningful and powerful for the church. So here's how I want us to start. Um, as is I often like to do, I'm going to say a prayer over us in our time together here in a moment. Uh, but before I do that, I'm going to read a scripture over us that, that I want to just give us a picture of what it is that God is calling us to, right? For us to have our hearts and our minds set on this, this story that God has invited us to be a part of and let that picture be a fuel of worship for our time together today. So here's what I want you to do. Would you just close your eyes as we prepare for prayer? And let me read this scripture over you. And as I read it, just let your heart and your mind picture what it is that God has in store for us. For then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Father, we love you. And send your spirit upon all of us today. Invade our hearts, our souls, our minds. And let this gathering today be pleasing in your sight. As we seek to worship you, our Lord of Lords and our King of Kings. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, well, that being said, I, I will tell you that it didn't take me long uh, after getting to date Jennifer and spend some time with her to see that she was a natural artist, okay? She has this God-given gift where she could draw, she could paint, she was really good at photography, 
Uh, she just had this creativity about her that was pretty compelling. And I always tried to encourage that and, and foster that within her and, and spur her on in that regard. Now, she was a nurse by trade. Okay, that's what she did professionally and what she studied. But she always uh, invested in her, the arts as well. Ultimately, not too long ago, a couple years ago, starting her own photography business. And so in our home, I have a nurse and a photographer, which is a really great deal. Because when the kids get sick or they're hurt, I'm like, go see mama, right? She can take care of it. But at the same time, the photography aspect is really, really awesome. I mean, she captures so many incredible moments for our family, in particular of our children. And, and it's really neat. In fact, it's gotten to the point where literally, like my kids are six and four, and I already feel bad about the rehearsal dinner. Like I really do. Like if it's in the Lord's plan for them to get married and they do that little slideshow at the rehearsal dinner where you document their childhood, I'm going to be like, I'm sorry, we've got 8 million pictures and they're all really good. And so you're just going to have to deal with it, okay? And so I love being married to a photographer because she has this ability to just capture these moments. And I'm constantly reminded of the fact that pictures are so powerful, right? They, they give us a glimpse of something. They capture a moment that, that tells us a greater story. Right? That's really what gives them their power. And so I was thinking about that. That's, that's why we get this phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words, correct? And so I was thinking about that phrase and the power of a picture, and I thought, I would like to explore that a little bit more intentionally this morning. And so I started looking for some powerful images and pictures that we could look at together, and I, just, I stumbled across this Time Magazine article that identified the top 10 photos for 2016, Okay, and so I, I thought, well, we'll look at these together. And so I want to quickly run through these top 10 photos and do so with the perspective of how is it that a picture can capture a moment that, that can then give us an insight to a greater story. Okay, so let's look at the first one. Here's the first photo that they presented. This is a photo of Aisha Evans in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, back in the summer, and she's about to be taken into custody. You know, that's, that's the moment, right? That's the glimpse. But what is the greater story? Right, the greater story is that there's this narrative in our country of this racial tension and the need for racial reconciliation. Right? So there's the moment, but it's a glimpse at something much more profound and greater. Let, let's go to the second one. I love this one. All right? It's almost like he knew there was a photographer, you know, and he's like, what up? No big deal, right? And so here's Usain Bolt. It's a reminder that the Olympics were this past year, and so the greater story is more than just him running the race. I mean, you... You could have the greater story of the Olympics. I mean, this really amazing event that all these countries of the world come and competing against each other. Or, or you could consider the story of the man himself, this fastest human we've ever seen. Right? Again, a, a glimpse at a greater story. Let's go to the third one. So this was in Turkey. And if you remember, there was a military coup that was ultimately put down. And this is the moment where the soldiers in that military were surrendering on the Bosphorus Bridge. And, and so that's the moment that's captured the greater story it is obviously that there's this unrest in certain parts of the world. There's this fragility between a government and its people. And how do you manage those things? Okay, that's number three. Let's go to the fourth one. I was kind of shocked to see this one in there. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I, I don't know. But, you know, when you think about it, it makes sense. That's Samaj P. Ryan scoring on Sammy Douglas for TCU. Uh, they played a game back in October, which OU won 52 to 46, just in case you were forgetting and uh, obviously the greater story there is the, the legendary status of the OU football program, right? <laughs> anyway, okay, let's go to the next one. Um, and so here you have the migrants. Okay, this is a, a group, a boat of, of migrants, I think, 
15 miles off the coast of Libya, and they're waiting to be received by an NGO. And, and this is another story of just this global migration, right, that is unprecedented in, in the world's history right now, and, and what people go through and the journey they go through to find a new home. Uh, let's go to the next one. This is taken from the International Space Station. This is actually a snowstorm that covered the East Coast. You can see the lights of the city underneath the snowstorm. It's really compelling. But again, the moment is more than just the storm. It's a greater story of the majesty of space, right? The, the significance of our earth and how small we really are, right? Okay, let's go to the next one. Again, I don't know what's up with the theme, uh, but this is Baker Mayfield scoring against Baylor. They, they played November 12th and, and handled Baylor pretty easily, I might add, 45 to 24. The greater story here is obviously Mayfield, right? A walk-on quarterback who grows into being a Heisman candidate. You, you get the idea. Uh, let's go to the next one. Air Force One, right? Obviously a, a great, a significant gesture and symbol in our culture, but this one was notable because this is Air Force One about, in, about to land in Havana, Cuba. And so the greater story talking about, obviously, the relationship between our two countries and this, this pitiful transition in that relationship. Uh, you can go to the next one. This is a line of refugees in Greece, uh, a food line, wearing rain gear and, and waiting to get food. And it's a dark, it's a gloomy picture, obviously reminding us of this greater story of our basic needs for food and shelter and what can happen when we're denied those basic needs. Okay, and so number 10. I get the joke that's old at this point, but I was worried the T-sips were going to feel left out of it, so I had to throw this in there, okay? Westbrook going for 232 yards and three touchdowns, no big deal, um, as OU won. Okay, so here's the point. You can take it all down. You got to roll with it, guys. I, I got to take advantage while I can, okay? Sports are cyclical. I'm not always going to be able to do it. When we're bad, you can bring it back at me. I'll be happy for it, okay? No big deal. Um, so here's the point, right? All those pictures show us that they are these moments, right? They, they are these glimpses that show us a greater story, right? They're, they're very powerful in the fact that they lead us to a greater understanding. This is why we get that phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words. I use that as an opening illustration for this reason. Worship, to me, is a picture, right? It's a glimpse. It's capturing a moment that is ultimately meant to tell a greater story. That's what we need to understand with worship. And so our goal this morning is to do a couple of things. Number one, we want to understand what is the picture that we are to paint with worship. Right? What is this moment that we're trying to capture? But in addition to that, we need to be mindful of the greater story that worship is trying to tell. So here's how I want to do that. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. What, what comes to mind when you hear the word worship? What picture do you think of? See, there's probably a little over 300 of us in the sanctuary today, and I'm be willing to bet there's 300 different pictures that just came to mind, right? Because everybody thinks of something different. Some of us think of choir and organ or guitar and music or the Lord's Supper or baptism or liturgy, all these different pictures that come to mind, which tells us that it's a very elusive topic, right? It's, it's hard to really define. And so my goal is to try to work through all those images and manifestations and allow us to focus on a biblical understanding of worship. So let's start with just a simple definition. Okay, if you were to take the Greek word for worship that you find in the New Testament, more often than not, it is defined as service. Okay? Service, submission, servant-mindedness towards God. It's this idea that there's this external expression for an inward commitment. Okay, but that's it. 
There's not a whole lot of detail. There's not a whole lot of formulaic answers in terms of what worship really looks like. And aren't we glad, right, that God somehow gives us the freedom to express what our service and our worship of him can really look like. And now what we do see are some common threads, some pillars, right, that whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, worship typically originates from an understanding that God is creator and he is redeemer. Okay, so that's a foundation that we will come back to here in a little bit. Let's also consider the history of worship and how that's influenced our expression of it today. Uh, If you go back into the Old Testament, one of the chief fixtures of worship would be the temple, right? God establishes the kingdom of Israel. David sits on the throne, has the idea to build a temple to the Lord. Solomon ultimately completes it, and it becomes a central piece of worship. And, And so you have people that will consistently come to this temple to offer sacrifices, to do feasts, offerings, uh, rituals, festivals, all these different things, and, and we begin to see how those rituals inform their understanding of worship. So take the Passover, for example. That the people would come together and they would celebrate the Passover, and they would do so to remember God's great deliverance from captivity, right? how he pulled them out of slavery. But in addition to that, he's, he's showing the people that as they anticipate a Messiah, in a redeemer that they can celebrate not just what God has done, but what he's going to do, which becomes an, an important tension in how we worship. Uh, they also have the Sabbath, right? This is another element that's engrafted into the way in which they worship. There's this rhythm to the week, right? Again, acknowledging what God has done, that on the seventh day of creation, he rested, but also anticipating what God will do, that at some point we will ultimately enter into his rest. So remember what he's done, anticipate what he's going to do. You have the Sabbath, you have the temple. And then over time, they have the synagogue that develops. And when people would come to the synagogue, when the Jewish people came there, they expected three primary components, right? They expected to have praise, prayer, and instruction. We don't know exactly if praise was specifically set to music necessarily, but there was a philosophy that they invoked that it was necessary to attribute praise to God and to acknowledge him for who he was. They, They cultivated an atmosphere of prayer, There would be readings of the law or of the prophets, and then there would be a a word of instruction in terms of how that should influence their lives. And so you have all these components, right? You have the temple, you have these rituals, you have the Sabbath, you have praise and instruction and prayer, and you can see how so much of it has has been handed off to Christianity, right? Those are some very familiar elements in, in our gestures of worship, okay? So that's the picture that can kind of be created but, but those are just the elements. What we want to do is understand the true biblical picture that gives it value underneath it. Now, in order to do this, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, okay? And it's a short verse. I'm reading just one verse today. Can you believe it? I'm not reading 80 like I typically like to do. So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, this is going to paint for us a picture of biblical worship that's going to inform everything that we do when we seek to understand this topic. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, here's my goal. I want us to run through this verse somewhat quickly, trying to paint the picture of biblical worship. And then I want to paint another picture of, of the risk we have of a unhealthy expression of worship, and then we're going to step back from those pictures and look at it from a more applicable setting for us in our time, okay? 
So let, let me walk through this. This is a key transition in, in Paul's letter here to the church in Rome. After all that he's explained in the first 11 chapters, all that, that has been accomplished in Christ, all that, that we can have in mind in terms of what God has done for us, he gets to this pivotal moment. He says, therefore, I urge you. And that urging is pretty significant. It's not as strong as a command, but it's more than just a suggestion, okay? It's a begging. It's a pleading. And so Paul's saying this is important. With all those things in mind, this is how we are to respond. Let me urge you towards this. And then he progresses into in view of God's mercy. Now we need to really consider that phrase this morning. Okay, what we know is that this verse is about worship. And Paul is setting the tone to say the only way you truly find worship is to maintain a view of the mercy of God. Right? Worship is anchored in that view and in that mercy. Mercy means compassion, right? kindness, grace, uh, these sorts of things. And we can clearly see through the context of scriptures that God's mercy is fully experienced to us or shown to us through Jesus Christ in the gospel. So what we have here is a clear understanding that worship is fully founded upon the gospel and nothing else. This is taking us back all the way to that first conviction, right? That we're going to be a church that is gospel-centered, right? That when we open the scriptures, we're looking for the good news of Jesus Christ. When we pray, when we fast, we do so to have a greater awakening and understanding of the gospel. When we go and make disciples, we do so to exalt the gospel. So when we worship, we do so in full view of the mercy of God, which is the story of the gospel. What is that story? See, every time we worship, we have a chance to retell the story of God's mercy. That he is a creator, that he created all things, but in our act of rebellion, there was this separation from him. But God has revealed himself to us to be a covenantal God, right? A God of promises. And he looks on the people of Israel, even in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their captivity, and he says, I'm going to pull you out, I'm going to redeem you and rescue you, and I'm going to take you to this promised land. I'm going to make you into a kingdom. And he brings them there, but they continue in their disobedience, and that leads them to exile. And even in the midst of exile, he continues his promises and his faithfulness, saying, I will reestablish my kingdom among you. And it's that promise, once again, that they anticipate this covenant, this kingdom. And then ultimately, Jesus arrives on the scene. And he preaches this new covenant, a fulfillment of the kingdom that God has promised. And when we see his crucifixion, his sacrifice, and his resurrection, we can now stand and celebrate all that God has done, but also anticipate the fullness of the kingdom that is yet to be. This is the full view of God's mercy. And worship is anchored upon that story. Now, what happens when we respond to that mercy? And he says, I want you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The word offer means to make available. It's going to bring to mind this gesture of surrender and submission. And bodies is important because worship is not a state of mind. Worship is not just a concept or an idea or a thought. It's speaking to our entire existence. Bodies and souls are not viewed as separate under the Judaic mindset. They are intimately connected. See, Paul says, your body is a temple. It's where the Spirit of God dwells. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we offer our entire existence as a living sacrifice. Now, sacrifice is a huge component of worship. If you go back to the garden and you see this rebellion that took place that in their sin and in their shame, they are fully aware that they are now deserving of death. 
But in God's great mercy, he, he gives them forgiveness. But how does he do it? He takes an animal and he sacrifices it. Right? Blood is shed, death is paid as a consequence for their act. And then the skins of that animal are made into garments to cover their sin and their shame. And that sets us on the course of sacrifice. That for thousands of years, people would need to sacrifice some animal. Blood would be spilled in order to find forgiveness and mercy to cover their shame. Right? And so that leads us into the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus the sacrifice that we can stand upon today and see that it is good once and for all. And as a result, since he sacrificed himself for us, we respond as sacrificing ourselves for him. The call of the gospel is to come and die, to be a living sacrifice. We make ourselves fully available to serve him no matter what he calls us to do. Right? So what does that look like? It's holy and pleasing. Now holy for me is more than just some sort of moral superiority. It's more than just some sort of behavior, right? The scriptures say, be holy because I am holy. Holiness helps us understand that God has claimed us. He has set us apart. We are distinct because we belong to him. Holiness is a, is a way for us to declare that we are his children. We live in such a way and that is pleasing, that is acceptable to God. Now we put all those things together <clears throat> We understand the view of God's mercy to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. That is true and proper worship. That's the picture that we want to create. That's what we want to live into. So keep that in mind. But let me also offer a word of caution this morning. There is an obvious path that can lead us another direction that is not true and authentic worship. What does it look like? You don't have to turn there, but let me read to you a quick passage from Amos, chapter 5, that shows us what it looks like when we fail to, to worship in such a way as Paul just described. In chapter 5, verse 21, it says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves." That's a strong word of what can happen when we get it wrong. Right, it's the same elements. Sacrifice, offerings, praise, music. But in this regard, God says, I despise them. It's a stench to me. Take them away. And so what's the difference between those two pictures? Well, if I were going to summarize the main difference, the one that we see in Romans maintains a full view of the mercy of God. It's a humility. It's a self-sacrifice. The other one exalts ourselves. We made this about ourselves. And that's a picture that we need to be cautious against making. So let's keep those pictures in mind. And now let's step back for a moment and think practically how this question of worship impacts us in this day and age, in this setting. Well, if, if I were to identify anything that I would suggest creates a struggle for us, 
right? And, and what it is that's going to lead us to this more unhealthy picture of worship, I would suggest that it, that it probably comes from this simple idea. We have lost focus. We have made worship something that it's not. Here's what I would say that we tend to gravitate towards. Our mistake is that more often than not, we make music central to worship. Now hear me, music is important and it's a component. It is not central. I'm willing to bet that the majority of the people in here, when I said, what picture do you come up with when you think of the word worship, you thought about something related to music. That most often we use the words almost interchangeably. And we have made music central. And that has led to a lot of complications. Uh, I'm going to be referencing a book that's called Rhythms of Grace by Mike Cosper. It's a great book. A friend of mine recently recommended it to me. And, and he helps bring to clarity a lot of different things of both the risk and the struggles as well as the direction that we should consider when we think about what does it look like to truly worship. And I want to read to you for a quote that kind of to me captures the risk we make when we make music central to our understanding of worship. Here's what he says. He says, many of us grew up in churches that went through years worth of worship wars, where piano and organ crowd battled for control of the church platform with the guitars and drums crowd. Conversations about worship get loaded with emotion and weighed down by preferences. One crowd laments the lack of depth and lyrical content of our songs, while another laments the lack of contextualization and stylistic flavor. Whole movements emerge, arguing that worship should be shaped uh, by the evangelistic mission of the church, and thus our services need to be attractional and friendly. Others swing the pendulum the other way, arguing that worship is only about the church gathering and worshiping their God, and that outsiders shouldn't even factor into our planning for the gathering. So who's right? Who has the weight of the Bible on their side? He puts it pretty directly. Here's the risk that I see. When we begin to make music so central to our understanding of worship, we end up cultivating these biases that influence our understanding of what worship really is. Let me, let me highlight a few. One is, is that we develop a, a bias towards instruments, right? Now listen, there's nothing wrong with having preferences. Nothing at all. That's okay. The problem is when we make our preferences towards instruments foundational to worship. Right, that we can't live without them and that we have to have one instrument over another. Listen, that is not a biblical position. Right, if we really want a biblical position of instrumentation with worship, somebody needs to run home and learn how to play the ram's horn pretty quickly. Okay? Right, and we can get the flute up here and the harp and all these other things if that's what we really want. Here's the point. It wouldn't have the organ or the guitar. It's not in the Bible. It's a preference. Okay? It's not biblical. And so it's okay to have a preference. But don't let it turn into a bias that, that dictates what you think is true worship, right? It's not just about instrumentation. Sometimes it's about song selection too, right? We, we get really concerned about the packaging of the songs and, and even when the songs were written, right? And so here, here's what ends up happening. And there's no doubt, listen, there is no doubt that certain songs carry a richer theological content than the other, right? There's no doubt that that's true. But too many times we discredit that to be the case before we even hear the words themselves. Right? And we, we'll think that one will have no theological meaning just because of how it's presented. Let me say it another way. Traditional music has not cornered the market on rich theology. There are some incredibly rich theological songs that are sung from a contemporary setting. And at the same time, just because a song is, is older and you don't like the style of it doesn't mean that there isn't just rich, powerful meaning in the words that were written hundreds of years ago. 
So don't worry about how it's packaged. Look at what it's saying. Keep your eye on the view of God's mercy. Right? Sometimes we, we have these critiques of, of repetition. Right? Well, these songs are too repetitive. Right? They just say the same thing over and over and over again. That's fine if that's a preference. That's fine if you don't like that. It's not biblical. If you think it is, I would encourage you to turn to Psalm 136 and rip it out of your Bible. Because that's the most repetitive song that we've got in Scripture. Right? Sometimes we worry about when it was written. Right? That we have these, these songs that have endured for many centuries and many times. Can I just tell you, if you look at some of the classics, right? Like uh, Amazing Grace and It Is Well and Holy, Holy, Holy and Great Is Thy Faithfulness. You know, they weren't written until after 1779. Which means the church went almost 1,800 years without them. And seemed to do okay. And believe it or not, at one point, they were new. They were contemporary. Right? And so for those of us that want to resist them for being old, we need to get beyond that and say, no, they're actually new. They're beautiful. They're powerful. And at the same time, those of us that want to cling to them need to say, hey, there's something powerful about writing new songs. We need to get beyond the song selection bias as well. There's another bias that we sometimes invoke, which is a cultural one. And this is one that probably stirs me the most, right? Because all of those discussions about instruments and song selection are purely American, maybe Western, right? And we have this kind of audacity to put ourselves up on the throne of determining what is true worship. And we lose an appropriate perspective of the global church, so can I just tell you, I've, I've sat on the floor of the desert in West Africa under a tree with 12 to 15 Fulani, right? And they didn't have any instruments. They didn't have a songbook. They didn't have a building. They didn't have Sunday school. They didn't have coffee. They didn't have donuts. And you know what? They worshiped. It was beautiful. You can read about the church in China, right, that they don't have the privilege of gathering in public. So they do so secretly. They don't have the opportunity to have loud music, whether it's an organ or a band. They, they have hushed tones and they worship. That is the reality, is this the view of God's mercy, not music. And so we need to acknowledge that today. Here's one of the main things we need to do. We need to give an honest assessment of our perspective of worship. And if we have put ourselves in a position where we put so much stock in the instrumentation or the song selection or anything related to that, we need to repent. And I'm putting myself in that category because the Lord knows there's been many times where my preferences have gotten in the way. We need to repent of it. And we need to let go of our preferences and grab a hold of the gospel because that's where worship truly takes place. And so how do we do that well? What does that look like? Well, I think Cosper gives us some good guidelines here that helps us paint this picture that we see in Romans 12. A couple of things. There's a, pro a progression that he takes us on. He says, first and foremost, we need to remember that there is one object and author of worship, and that's God. Right? The focal point of our worship is to see God is who he is. He is the object of all worship. He is the one that even gives us the capacity to worship. And so everything we do needs to be centered on him and not on ourselves. That's step one. The second step that he brings to mind, I think, is really important. He talks about that there are two contexts. There's scattered worship and there's gathered worship. And I love that. So let me explain to you this dynamic he points out. At some point here this morning, we're going to leave. And, and we as a church are going to be scattered. 
But as we leave, we continue to worship. This is what brings to mind this Romans 12 teaching, right? That, that worship doesn't stop here. That as you go on your own throughout your week, throughout your day, you continue in a spirit of worship. You continue to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And as you encounter those moments and those perspectives throughout the week, you worship. Now, that being said, there's something significant about when we gather. That when we gather together, it's the opportunity for us to engage with the people of God in the spirit of God, right? To see us encouraged to go towards the mission of God. It is Christ in me meets Christ in you. And there's something powerful about that and beautiful about it. And so scattered worship and gathered worship informs one another, right? They complement each other that as we go about our week and we continue in this capacity and we go through all these circumstances, trials, and situations, we grow from those things and we bring them back to the body and we use them to encourage others. And then as we gather in the body, we hear these stories and we see Christ exalted in other people and that gives us the energy and the resolve and the inspiration to then go back in our week and worship in a scattered mindset. It's a rhythm of grace. And it's important for us to maintain. Here's what happens if we don't maintain it. I love this quote. I think he puts it together very well. When a one-hour worship service is our only encounter with God's presence, we will intuitively become much more demanding of that gathering and divisive. Song selection, for instance, is a much more loaded concept if Sunday morning is my sole sacred hour with God. I'll be much more picky because a decision I disagree with or don't particularly love robs me of intimacy with God. Everything about the service becomes sacred. And if it's done poorly or not to my taste, it's not just a matter of preference or opinion, it feels like heresy. But by contrast, if the gathering is about building up and encouraging the church, then a song I don't like presents an opportunity to love and encourage others whose tastes differ from mine. Distractions, errors, and cringe-inducing moments in the service aren't disasters on a cosmic scale because worship continues throughout my week. Jesus continues before God's throne, and I can join him anytime. Love that. It maintains that perspective. Scattered worship and gathered. And then the third progression that he points out is to know the audience. He says, we have an audience of three. First and foremost, as he, as he makes it clear in the first point, The main audience for our worship is God and God alone. That we are here to worship him. But the second audience is the church. That we come together to encourage and inspire one another. But the third audience that must not be forgotten is the world that looks in on us. So we come to worship the God who gives us the gospel. To be encouraged by the church that is transformed by the gospel. So that we can declare to the world that needs the gospel. And we must maintain all those audiences in mind, in order to achieve this true picture of worship that Paul paints for us. So that's what he presents to us. Now, let me tell you what I think that means for us as a church. As I shared a couple weeks ago, we have officially begun a journey towards searching for the next minister of worship and music, okay? And, And I want you to be praying for our church in that journey. And I, again, want to acknowledge just the faithfulness that we've had in the leadership here that for the last three years, This church has had an interim leading us in worship. And Casey's done a great job in its most recent past. We want to acknowledge Brad and Sarah and what they did for several years. But it's time for us to to really solidify the importance of worship to the church by making this a permanent position. Okay, so here's what I've seen. Here's what's guiding my thinking into that search in addition to everything I just shared with you. That, That I've seen churches go through these worship wars, right? That they they drew a line in the sand and they picked sides. 
right? And they picked it based on genre. And, and so now churches are defined by music. Well, it's our contemporary service. It's traditional. And here's what I want to tell you. I do not want to be shackled to a genre of music. Okay? I just don't. Now, music is absolutely important. And it will influence and inform our thinking and how we can do that meaningfully and well. But let me just tell you, let me put it very simply. We're looking for a worship minister, not a musician. I've seen phenomenal musicians that are terrible worship leaders. So music will be factored in. We're going to give consideration to that, but at the end of the day, it is going to be about their ability to lead us into worship, and not just on a Sunday morning, but through the entire week, and what that looks like. So here's what that means for us. The reality of the situation is that whoever the Lord reveals to be that person, they're probably going to have an aptitude to one direction or another. They, too, are going to have their preferences, right? They're going to have a certain aptitude and ability. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to extend them grace. And we're not going to burden them with our own preferences. We're going to help foster this same spirit of worship for them. And we're going to be able to trust them because what we're going to be looking for is somebody that's going to come in with that same mentality of worship and not put their preferences above yours. And that's what we're going to seek to try to find. That's what's going to lead us down this journey. And so I want you to pray for us. I want you to pray that we can be guided in this process as an entire church to find the true meaning of worship that goes beyond just music. Okay? Now that's the picture. What's the story? And that's how I want to close our time this morning. We want to paint this picture of what it looks like to have this true spiritual act of worship, but we must not forget that it tells a greater story. And so what is, what is it that we need to be mindful of today? Well, let me read to you one of my favorite passages that echoes the words of Revelation that I read to start our time that reminds us exactly what it is that God has called us to. So let me offer these words to you as a word of encouragement this morning in terms of what it is that God is inviting us to and the greater story that our worship needs to reveal. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's the greater story. We don't come to church. We don't just come to a service. We don't just come to a building or an institution. We come to the holy city, the heavenly Jerusalem, the story of a living God who's gonna dwell with his people, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that's why we worship, and that's our greater story. And so let us give consideration that when we gather together, what we're trying to convey is that we are giving this captured moment a glimpse into eternity, a foretaste of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. 
for that is true and proper worship. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we acknowledge the beauty of this kingdom today. Father, we confess, I, we, we repent, I repent, of our tendencies to, to cling to our preferences and reduce worship to music. And Father, as this church begins somewhat of a journey to, to pursue a greater understanding of this call in our life, let us be guided by your spirit, let us be guided by your scripture, let us be guided by the gospel and move forward in a view of your mercy. Father, as we leave here today, let us be the church that is scattered into this world, constantly present before the throne room of heaven, mindful of all that Jesus has done for us so that as we continue to move throughout our week, we worship you. And when we gather again, Father, let us come back with stories of the greatness of who you are. Let us encourage one another. Let us paint a picture of this worship so that we can tell to this world the greater story that we have found in Jesus. For it's in his mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let me extend a word of invitation. Uh, As is often the case, this is the time of our gathering together where we want to celebrate with a response to God. And so if you would like to join the church, if you're looking for a church home, come on. We're welcome. I don't always do OU jokes. That's just every once in a while. So you're welcome here. Um, But maybe you just have some need for prayer. Uh, Maybe you would acknowledge that you've never fully embraced the mercy and the gospel of Jesus Christ and you want to make that decision. Well, we want to celebrate that with you as well. But whatever it is the Spirit is prompting you, let's respond in an act of obedience. Can you stand together? And we'll sing a song of invitation. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Good afternoon. (laughs) Um, I was just going to remind you guys one more time of our women's gathering. This is the first one we're going to have called At the Well. It's um, this Thursday, March 9th at 7 o'clock. 
And we're so excited. Um, our own Erin um, Owen, who I believe helps out in preschool right now, but she's going to be sharing just her Jesus story. Um, and that's, we're going to start meeting monthly, and this is going to be a time for women to kind of get to know each other better. Um, we all have a story, and um, one of the neat things about this is, you know, we're going to be a little bit more vulnerable, be able to share kind of what God's been doing in our lives. Um, so you don't want to miss that. Um, also, we're going to be collecting, this is a brand new purse, but gently used purses that we're going to fill with lots of little toiletry items, or this has got a brush, and um, you know, some just, you know, face wipes, just a bunch of things that women would enjoy. And we're going to drop these off at the Fort Worth um, Presbyterian Night Shelter. Um, so if you can't come, but you would like to bring some old purses, you can drop them off in Jeremiah's office. Um, and even if you don't have a chance to fill them up with anything, we'll make sure they get filled. So we hope you guys can join us. Thanks. Seven. Okay, so that really means seven, just in case you're wondering, all right? It's Brazilian time, right, Lucas? I'm teasing, I'm teasing, it's all good. Hey, let me uh, celebrate a decision this morning. Let me introduce Kathy Walker. Why don't you come on up, Kathy? So Kathy has come forward to decide to make University Baptist her church home, and so we're so excited about that decision. Uh, thank you for making that decision this morning, and we look forward to being the church that you need during the season of your life. And to voice that affirmation, I'm going to ask you, congregation, that as a response to Kathy's faith in us, can we give her the affirmation that we will be the church that she needs during this time? And would you acknowledge that by saying amen? Amen. Awesome. So, Kathy, I'm going to ask you to stay up here with us. Okay. And at the conclusion of the service, I'm going to invite all of these people, every single one of them, to come down and shake your hand. Okay, is that awesome? You got time? Okay, good deal. So y'all come by and meet Kathy at the conclusion of the service. It's been a good day. Let's stand together and celebrate with the Lord as we sing the sending song. I'm so excited. Thank you. Your love breaking through my heart of stone. Love breathing to awake my bones. Love reaching out to save my soul. Love never gonna let me go Love calling me as I am Love making me new again Love lifting me when I can Love never gonna let me go Love never gonna let me go Your love never gonna let me go 